Hey, y'all. Your fam, Black Fluid Poet. Check it out. If you love this podcast, I want to thank you for favoriting the podcast because it means the world to me. However, the way I can get more advertisers is to have more subscribers. If advertisers um, see that um, I have a lot of subscribers, they will be more willing to give me opportunities to advertise for them. So in order for me to get these ads, I need to get to a decent amount of subscribers. So you come here to anchor.fm and you go to support and you can pick 99 cents, 4.99 or 9.99. Please feel free to pick 99 cents. I, I, I am overjoyed at anyone who wants to support my dream of getting this podcast taking off. You know what I'm saying? So please just consider it. If I could get a thousand subscribers, I could get out of this poverty thing. You know what I'm saying? Because, yo, the struggle is real. Y'all take care. Hey, y'all. So check it, check it, check it, check it out. I just came across a new clothing line that is amazing. It is Jupiter's Art. This is a clothing line for non-binary people, right? So the clothes are genderless and uh, they are also sustainable. Um, There's carbon offset and they don't add anything negative to the environment. And they're also um, an ethical company with fair pay for their employees And they welcome uh, anyone in the spectrum of LGBT and race. It is owned by people of color and they deserve your attention. You can find Jupiter's Art on Instagram, on TikTok, and you can search for them on Google and find the website. It is amazing. Check it, check it, check it out. Wait till you see this jacket. Oh my God. It it is amazing. Y'all, you got to peep it. Jupiter's Art. Check it. Hey, y'all. You ever heard of an amazing young woman by the name of Zinzi Smith? Well, I have. And her and I had just an amazing conversation on Beyonce's internet. I will have you know that 20-year-old Zinzi Smith has her own black woman-owned business for an entire year now teaching spin classes. And let me tell you, she's enthusiastic. She wants the world to know that she's ready to help you shed them pounds from Thanksgiving and Christmas and help you keep up with that New Year's resolution that all of us middle-aged people like to make while we're still making them. So I, for one, am going to try and take one of her classes, just $15 for an online class with Zinzi Smith. She also teaches in person in studios in Brooklyn and in Queens and NYC. And all around, I got to tell you, I am just in awe of her. So you can reach out to her on Spin With Zin. That's Spin With Z-I-N on TikTok and on Instagram. And let her know that you heard it here on Black Fluid Poets Podcast. And you're trying to shed them pounds and keep up that New Year's resolution. You feel me? So give her a shout out. Let me know how it went. Hey, y'all. It's your fam, Black Fluid Poet, coming to you live from my humble abode of books. During this pandemic paradise, where the quarantine wasn't at all cute. Y'all, 
I'm at this different stage in my life, right? Um, I'll be 52 at the end of this month. 52. And can I just tell you, when I was 14 and doing a ton of drugs, and my mother was in prison, and my dad was nowhere to be found, I remember the school psychologist asked me, John, where do you see yourself in five years? And I remember laughing. And he said, what's so funny? And I said, what makes you think I'm going to make 18? 18. 18 was like a millennia ago. I'm going to be 52 at the end of this month. So, excuse me. In all actuality, it would be understandable for me to be proud of the fact that I'm aging and that I'm going to reach the pinnacle of of 52. But in all reality, I have to tell y'all, I feel like, I don't know what it is, but I just feel like you hit the age of 50 and you get put in some kind of a societal fish tank where people just tap on the glass and watch and wait for you to die. <laughs> that, that's what goes through my head. Like, like what's left? You know what I mean? Like, you're 52. If, if you did this whole thing the way it was expected, you know, you're a grandparent by now, and, you know, you got a house, and you're looking forward to retirement, you know, and the whole, you know, Schwab commercial of it all, you know, um... And I don't fit any of that. Like, I had so many toxic relationships that, like, I barely, like, by the skin of my teeth, have a relationship with my children. But more importantly, I feel like at 52, I don't know what else there is. You know, when you see past all of the capitalistic facade, you know, like owning a house and having good credit and yada, da 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 I feel like I don't know what's left to experience at this juncture. Like I've been in love, I've had money, I've lost it, I've had money again, lost it again. I've been married, got divorced. I've had you know, grief, and I've had success, and I've had joy, and I've had unbearable, unfathomable sadness. I've been through it all, the whole gambit. Now what? I just feel like, what's left, you know? Needless to say, I've been struggling with my depression. I have been struggling struggling with my depression. I see my friends and and I'm so happy for them. A lot of them have overcome unthinkable obstacles and they've fallen in love and they've gotten married and some of them have had children and I don't know why I feel so stuck. I feel so acutely aware of it all. And when I say that, I mean the bullshit. 
like the Russian invasion and and the 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 murdering of Ukrainian people. It's been so heartbreaking for so many people. And I'm like, but this has been happening in Palestine for 70 years. So why now? Like, why all of a sudden, like, are we so heartbroken? Of course, like the obvious white supremacy. But it's, it's at moments like that that I feel like, why do I even bother? You know what I mean? Like, I feel like I give up. I give up. This, this shit is hopeless. And I think that, that is the rub of why my depression is whooping my ass right now. I feel hopeless. I look outside and people are just going on with their lives. We have gotten so accustomed to being at war. We have grown so apathetic to violence because we had to in order to save our sanity. That the norm is in a whole different place than it was when I was a kid. I don't like the world that I've been waking up to. And I think that's what's really bothering me. I just don't like it. I don't like this heartless place. Heartless. It's just... You know, every once in a while when it gets cold... When it gets cold out, sometimes I'll see a person who is without a house, without a home, and I'll bring them back to my house, and I will let them sleep here, because it's too fucking cold, man. And I, and I think of my oldest brother, you know, I think of him freezing to death in the cold in Brooklyn, and I just can't let that happen. Like, if, if I can do something to prevent one person from getting that ill one person from being that close to death it's all worth it so every once in a while i bring somebody home sometimes it's female sometimes it's male um and you know when they leave in the morning sometimes i have to throw out paraphernalia sometimes it's like a pipe here or god forbid some kind of an empty bag or you know and i shrug my shoulders and and i accept that that was part and parcel of the situation But it shouldn't have to be, right? And I think that's what I'm having a problem with. This free market healthcare system is driving me insane. Literally and metaphorically. Literally because there is a roughly three-month wait to be a new patient at most psychiatrists' office right now because of the pandemic, because of everything that's been going on. Three months. I have completely run out of my antidepressant. I think I have one more refill left. And a lot of psychiatrists don't take Medicare. And I feel helpless. Like I am, I am at the whim of the medical system. I need this medication. Because for some reason, in my brain, without these, med without these meds, I am prone to consider suicide as a valid option to end whatever pain I think I'm feeling. 
that is a scary place to be. I mean, I'm an academic. I'm educated. And still, with all of this information I have in my head, I will still, during a quiet moment, reflect on everything negative that has ever happened in the world. And then I will say to myself, the solution is ending my life. For someone like me who has depended on their thinking to survive their whole life, to come to a place of acceptance with the fact that my mind will try to kill me from time to time, that has taken an, a, a remarkable amount of humility on my part to admit that the one thing about myself that I truly do love, which is my intelligence, I truly love that about myself. Like I could say that without hesitation. But I love myself. And the thought that my thinking is out to get me is sometimes paralyzing. It, it, it causes me to, to you know, pause and, and have a lot of reflective moments because it's the one part of me that I've always admired. I've always admired. Like, is there a part of you that you've always admired? Whether it's a physical characteristic or a mental aspect of you or, you know, how you identify and connect with people emotionally or maybe it's something spiritual about you and, and how you're able to, you know, listen to other people's problems and guide them spiritually. My intelligence is something about me that I have fallen in love with over the decades. I love that my hand was always one of the first raised in every classroom. I love that I always knew the answer. Um, I love that when someone is, is trying to debate and, and they're doing so in an ignorant fashion, I love that I have reference after reference after reference of books in my brain where I can go, well, actually, that's not true. You know, and, and you get to shut down some ignorance from time to time. I love that shit. I do. I love it. I love it. But the thought that my own brain is working against me just causes me sadness. It's the one thing I've depended on my whole life. I've been nonviolent most of my life. The last time I had a fist fight, I think I was 14 the last time I had a fist fight. And I have to this day, I don't think I've ever physically punched a person in the face. Like, I don't think I've ever done it. And, and I feel good about that. Like, I don't, I don't want anybody to think that I um, feel like I'm missing out. I don't. I, I feel like, I, I'll tell you how I feel. I remember my mother, 5'9", five, 5'10", five, almost 400 pounds, swinging those hands, man. And they were like cinder blocks, man. They were fucking hard. And like, I couldn't imagine doing that to someone, like punching another human being. I, I just can't. I've seen it. Like, I'm not saying I haven't seen it. I'm, I'm not saying I'm immune to the experience. I just... I can't bring myself to hurt people like that. 
I mean, I could if I had to. And maybe I'm just lucky that I haven't had to. <clears throat> but... I don't know. I just... I feel like... We're at a place in our society in, in the United States where... Some things are just going to have to give. And I think that after the George Floyd protests and seeing how absolutely violent some of them had gotten, not because of you know most of the protesters, but just the fires and, and the, the, the rampage. And like, I'm okay with it. Let me, let, me, let, me, let me make some, let me create some clarity. I'm okay with protesters going the fuck off. I'm absolutely okay with that. I don't want that to have to be the case. But like, sometimes motherfuckers don't, just don't listen. You know what I mean? So like, I'm okay with protesting getting to that volatile place. I just feel hopeless in the fact that it has to get to that volatile place before anybody starts having these discussions. Like, would we really have talked about George Floyd as much as we did if Minneapolis wasn't on fire? Like, seriously. The first time we ever really discussed an unarmed black person being murdered by the police was Mike Brown. Now, coincidentally... Maybe that had something to do with Ferguson being on fire. Like, there was a war out there. There were, you know, uh, tear gas being thrown back and forth. And there were, you know, cops were running the streets with machine guns. And, and like, it had finally gotten to this point to where I think, I think, the powers that be realize these cops are going to fuck around and find out. And let's not talk about the two people who finally snapped in both Dallas and Baton Rouge and started shooting at police in retaliation for what they felt was the police attacking the black community. Right, wrong, or indifferent, that's what happened. And, and at 51 years old, about to be 52, I ask myself, in my head, having no answer, how bad does it have to get? Like, seriously, like, no, no, really, y'all. How bad does it have to get before we, as a species, as, as human beings, just decide that, yo, enough is enough. Can we just find common ground without hurting each other? And, that, and that's, that's what I've always wanted. You know, when I was a kid... I didn't want anything but my parents to be together. My mom told me she loved my dad. My dad told me he loved my mom. And I'm like, well, then why the fuck aren't you together? Like, I don't understand. The, the math ain't mathing at that point. Like, I'm just like, how can you say you love someone but not be by their side? It doesn't make sense. It didn't make sense at five and it doesn't make sense at 51. If you tell me you love someone, the word unconditional goes without saying in my head. 
it's not the same for most people, but for me, love in its own right is unconditional. Love is a decision that says, I have decided to be a participant in making your life better. When someone tells me they love me, they're saying, I have decided to be a participant in making your life better, John. And I said that to others. And then there are those like Dr. King who said, love, love is justice. Justice is what love looks like in public. Justice is what love looks like in public. And, and I've, I reflect over my whole life at that point. All right, I was born in 1970. You're talking about the Vietnam War, the Black Panther Party, the end of the civil rights movement, you know, and then the crack epidemic, the AIDS epidemic, um, and then the 90s, which was like violent as fuck. Then you got the 2000s. And then this pandemic. And in my life, I feel like there's been very few times when the stress at eased and the obstacles made themselves smaller, maybe for a day, maybe for a week. But I can't remember a time in my life when I've had a break. And I think that's what, I think there, I think that's the rub of why so many people are on the brink of taking their lives. We haven't had a break. The, the funny thing about this pandemic has been the opportunity to have a break. An opportunity to not go to work, to not have to show up at anybody's house, to not have to fulfill any obligations, just to sit the fuck home and take a look at myself and my life. And I think that has caused some sort of a, a wave throughout society. Like people have realized, oh, I could work from home. I don't necessarily have to go to this office building. And people have also realized things like, yeah, this marriage has never worked. It's not going to work. And I need to get out of this situation right now. Because there's something about spending all day, every day with someone you can't stand <laughs> that will offer you some clarity on where the fuck you need to go after that. Here's what I've learned so far. One, I'm not ready for a relationship. I haven't worked through enough of my toxic behavior to offer someone the safety of being in a relationship with me. And that's hard. That's hard. I'm 51 years old. I, I'm on my way out, y'all. And I still haven't finished fixing all of this dysfunction. And that's hard. Another thing I've noticed is social media has given POC 
a, a voice that has reverberated through society now. I love that TikTok has been instrumental with the as as TikTok is assisting black creators in being instrumental in changing the face of the United States and I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful that black people have taken have taken the reins on society in in so many ways and it's like we're we're going to start looking at things differently. And I think that's so important, you know. I think all this discussion about, you know, um weaves and braids and whether or not white women can wear it and um discussions about racism in in Europe and and what's going on with Ukraine and why we didn't treat brown people the way we're treating Ukrainians why was it okay to destroy over 80% of Syria but it's not okay for Russia to invade Ukraine and and it's unpacking a lot of discussion that we've needed to have for so long and you know say what you want to i'm actually grateful for the don't say gay bill and i'll tell you why because he doesn't know how much whoop ass he's opened by releasing that can of worms he he has no idea he has no idea how much further our platform is going to get pushed because of this law in Florida. Because I know, I don't know about y'all, but I know ain't nobody going back to the closet. I'll say that. Um, Ain't no black person that I've ever met ready to put chains back on and ain't no queer person I ever met ready to be invisible again. It's not going to happen. Sorry, I had to take my nasal spray. Ugh. Sounds sick. (laughs) But, you know, so it's like uh, this, this new law in Florida, it's just a dare. It's a dare to see queer people go the fuck off. Like, this is a fuck around and find out moment politically. Okay, you, you want to see how far we can go? You want to see how many of us are in Congress? You want to see how many of us are in the House of Representatives? You want to see how many of us are judges? We fit to take your shit on. And like, I don't think that many people who are predominantly white, straight, cisgendered, Christian, I don't think a lot of these people understand that they are now the minority. I, I don't think that that has really set in to their prefrontal cortex to add context to the rest of their lives. They haven't really realized that they are now the minority. Now, if you compare, you know, straight, cis, white, Christian people to black people, yeah, they're, they're the majority. To, you know, Chicanos and Mexican-Americans, sure, white people, the majority. To, you know, Asian-Americans, sure, white people, the majority. However, we're talking about white and non-white. And white people need to realize 
that they are a minority when it comes to people of color. And that people of color are no longer taking shit. I can't tell you how many videos I've watched in the last week of some white person using the N-word and some black person totally, physically, violently annihilating them. And thank God for that. Because let me tell you, I would... I, I Maybe it's because I was a New Yorker in the 70s and 80s, but I just feel like, dog, I don't give a fuck if I was living in Alabama, Kentucky, wherever the fuck. If somebody called me the N-word with that hard ER, bro, we fit to have a problem. You know what I'm saying? Like, a serious problem. So, this hopelessness that I feel, right, has been me focusing on violence and me focusing on the corruption in government and me focusing on the hypocrisy of white supremacy. And you know what broke it? You. You. I made a small video the other day about, you know, struggling. I'm five months behind in rent and, you know, I'm, I'm trying to catch up on a gas bill that's over $500. Um, I've finally started catching up on my phone bill. There's, there's $200 left to pay. <clears throat> um, but you know what happened? The manager of my apartment complex, I said, look, man, you know, I'm, I'm trying to get this job. I went to a job interview. And by the way, guys, I filled out the job application. I have an interview today at some point. But I said to the manager, like, yo, I know I'm behind, but we should talk about financing so I can get catch up on rent. And my manager was like, John. Stop worrying. You're not going anywhere. Like, we love having you here. And, you know, we know you're going to catch up. We know you're going to pay. You always pay if you fall behind. And I remembered my word. It's very essential for me to, for people to believe what it is I have to say. If I tell you I'm going to be there at 4 o'clock, bitch, I'm there at 345. Like, I'm one of those people. You know what I'm saying? So, like, for the landlord the landlord's manager to say to me, John, we know you always pay. You always catch up. And you know, th th a lot of donations came in through, through cash app. And I was, um, I made a video on TikTok the other day, like, you know, going to this job interview and, and, you know, filling out applications and I don't know how I'm going to make it. And that's still the case. However, there were some people that sent me unfathomable amounts of money to help me get by. And I'm not going to say any names because I don't know if they want to be anonymous or not. But a lot of these people, I have not had so much as a, a, a direct message conversation with them. Like, I haven't even talked to them in my DMs. But these people were sending me hundreds of dollars. And it helped. I'm, I'm not kidding you. It helped. That's why I'm only $200 behind in my phone. I'm only $200 behind in gas. I'm only you know, $2,000 behind in my rent. Um, but y'all have, every once in a while, y'all surprise me and you give me hope. And you make me realize that most things aren't going to go my way. But thank the universe, thank God, I have chosen beautiful people to have in my life. And if you haven't chosen 
decisively beautiful people to have in your life, that's what you need to do today. You need to let go of the toxic people. Let go of the people who are full of jealousy and complaints and gossip and anger and excuses. They are the worst atmosphere. They are the worst weather for growing your roses. They're just the worst. I have people in my life who I'm like, yo, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm still three months behind in rent. I'm still fucking $200 behind in my gas bill. T-Mobile is going to laugh at me the next time I send them a $10 payment. And they're like, John, you have been this far. You have been through worse than this. It's going to be okay. And what does that mean, okay? What does it mean to be okay? To be, I don't know, it sounds like satisfactory. It, it doesn't sound exemplary. It doesn't sound like, you know, you have potential to move forward. It just means you made it this far. Congratulations. And, and that's, that's where I am. Like, I've come to a place in my life where I'm confronting how I've done. I, I think I'm reflecting on my performance thus far, the last 51 years. And some of it I really feel good about, and some of it I'm really, really ashamed of. But I think that's what happens during somebody's birthday. I, I don't know how it works for you, but for me, I, I reflect on all the birthdays I've had before, and what birthdays may potentially look like in the future. And this birthday, I don't know why. I, I have no logical, I have no rational explanation for it. But this birthday in particular, I feel like I'm, I don't know why. I feel like I'm at a halfway point. Even though most human beings only live to be like 75, 80. But I feel like at 51, I'm at this halfway point where I need to say, Not everybody is going to be you. Like, I, I feel like I need to give these little moments of, of wisdom to some people. These, these, these few words of encouragement. If you're a giving and loving person, understand that most people aren't like you. And to expect other people to treat you the way you treat them is absolutely unrealistic and requires some radical acceptance on your part. I'm a very giving person. Most people aren't like me. So when I give to somebody, I can't allow myself to have this expectation that they're going to give me back later. Because it doesn't work that way in society. Most people are living according to capitalistic beliefs which means you are on your own. But I refuse to think that way. And when I see someone that I know, even from the neighborhood, someone that I'm not particularly close to, but someone I've seen around town, and I walk into the corner store and they're short $2 for their order, I'm going to pay that $2. I don't give a fuck because it's the right thing to do. And nothing else at that moment matters. When it's time to do the right thing, nothing else at that moment matters. Let me say that one more time. When it is time for you and you're in this situation and you know what the right thing is and it is time for you to do the right thing and you do it, nothing else in your life 
past, present, and future matters in that very moment. I like to do the right thing because I know when someone uses the term right thing, that means more than one person will be happy. When I do the right thing, donate money, donate food, bring a houseless person home, I'm spreading hope, but not only that, I'm spreading love and I'm spreading justice because why? Justice is what love looks like in public. When I stand up for a random stranger who's being picked on, when I help somebody with their groceries, when I help somebody with their car who's broken down on the side of the highway, these things create hope and hope creates possibility and open-mindedness and determinism. Like, like, when there's hope, there's determination. When there's a possibility that things could be better on the other side of an obstacle, then you are determined to get over that obstacle, which is why I need to buy the homeless person on the corner a cup of coffee, which is why I need to help kids in a poetry workshop and maybe stay afterwards and just play and, and draw and color with crayons because perhaps one of their parents is going to come in and pick them up who is feeling absolutely hopeless. And they see this perfect stranger coloring with their kid and talking about poetry and they just think, you know, maybe the world's not such a bad a place. Maybe things could get better. Maybe, I don't know, maybe capitalism isn't the end all of everything. Maybe it is, possibly, possibly, instead of me getting a new car, maybe it's more important for me to help my neighbor. I don't know. Maybe it's more important for me to, you know, donate to a local cause instead of you know, the Starbucks I've had all week. You know, maybe next week instead of getting Starbucks, I make this donation and something gets better. That's what hope looks like. It's a maybe. Hope is not a definite. Hope is not the world is going to get better. Hope is a maybe. Maybe. If you do what you considered doing today, maybe the world would be better if you got it done. I don't know, maybe. You know, it's, it's this... It's this overwhelming open-mindedness that needs to happen. That's what hope looks like to me. And I haven't been feeling a lot of hope. And I've been struggling with getting a psychiatrist and I've been struggling with my meds and I ran out of meds and I've been extremely depressed and sometimes quite suicidal. And I need to say that I don't blame some chemical imbalance and I don't blame society and, and, and point fingers at the American government and yada, yada, yada about the world. It's all of it. It's all of it. I am upset that after 50 years of being on this planet, all I have to show for it is a resentment for the government and some antidepressants.
That's where I am, y'all. When I was a kid, I truly believed, when I went to church on Sunday, I truly believed that all we had to do was hold hands and pray together and the world would be a better place. How stupid, how foolish was I? There is a level of empathy that we're going to need as a society in order to move further. I need to consider, yeah, instead of complaining about, you know, they forgot my sauce in the McDonald's bag, I need to ask myself, why is a 60-year-old woman busting her ass in a drive-thru? Like, instead of complaining about the long line at Walmart, I need to be asking myself, why the fuck aren't there more cashiers? When I think about my rent and this job and these bills, and I'm like, why the fuck am I working this hard to pay this small amount of bills? Like, I shouldn't be working 75 hours a week just to make rent and my utilities. Like, what the hell is going on? And it is in those moments where maybe it's my anger, maybe it's my intellect, but something sparks and something goes, hold up, the math ain't mathin'. That right there is the wedge where hope comes in. Maybe if we do this thing different, maybe instead of a free market healthcare system, maybe if we had universal healthcare, maybe things would be better. That, that is what open-mindedness looks like. It's a negotiation I have inside myself mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. Well, maybe if I looked at things this way, it wouldn't feel so difficult. I can honestly tell you that I know for a fact that today I want to be happy. And, and, not a but, and I understand that laughing is temporary and joy is something that we need to work on. We need to heal ourselves in order to experience true joy. Like laughter is easy. Laughter, you know, you see something funny, you laugh about it. <laughs> it's great. It's like uh, a little bit of Novocaine that separates you from the daily, you know, toll of capitalism. And that's awesome. But I think about finding hope and maybe I can't find hope for myself right now. Maybe I can't. Maybe just for sake of argument, maybe I just think my life is shit and none of this stuff matters. Here's the truth. That's irrelevant. Because finding hope for humanity is, I believe, everyone's job. It is everybody's job to help others find joy. Find joy. Find this. This is the reason why I've been living this long. This right here. This is what is causing me all this happiness. This is ecstasy. This is pleasure. This is joy. Whether it's hugging your grandchildren, going out on a date, going to the casino. I don't give a fuck what it is. But if, if I'm not experiencing any pleasure in my life after being here 51 and a half years... 
I'm not doing enough. It doesn't mean that life sucks and I need to end my life. It means I'm not doing enough to bring pleasure to my experiences on this planet. And let me tell you, that shit is more important than anything else. Because if you're not happy being alive, fuck them. Honestly, that's, that's how I feel. If, if you're not happy being alive, everybody around us is doing something fucking wrong. However, if you are not happy being alive and you consider taking your life to solve that problem, I want to say I'm sorry. I'm sorry that no one before me gave you hope. No one before me said, you know, maybe if you don't give up, these things will get better by tomorrow. I'm sorry that nobody told you that even though your wife slash husband slash partner left, someone else is eager and waiting to love you in all the ways you have ever wanted to be embraced or acknowledged or validated. I want to tell you that all this anti-racist work that you're doing in your life, it is going to pay off but you're probably not going to be alive to see it. And that's a hard one. But understand that the work you're doing right now is going to bring hope to somebody else. The love you feel for life and for society right now is going to bring hope to somebody else. I'm lonely, y'all. My parents are dead. My siblings are scattered and still struggling with drug addiction. And I'm here in Albuquerque, New Mexico, about to get a job as a server, hoping to find a job as a teacher or a professor, and hoping to God I don't lose my fucking apartment while I'm trying to take on these endeavors. <laughs> but I will say this. The sun is up. It is April 15th. Here in Albuquerque, it is 6.56 in the morning. And despite everything, everything I've been through in my entire life, I'm still here. And sometimes, that's got to be enough. I'll talk to you all later. Love you.